Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Hills to Die On, Part 7, The Burial, recorded Sunday, October 23, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. And I'm going to jump right into the scripture. It's Mark chapter 15, verse 42. And we're in the book of Mark. We have been for what, about 16 years or something like that? I don't know. It's been a while. So we're wrapping it up, friends, just a couple weeks to go. Verse 42, it was, it was preparation day. Keep that stored back there. It was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked him for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in the tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Preparation day. I was seven when I had my first encounter with death. His name was Herbert Speak. He was my grandpa. And they say you should resemble your mother's father, so he was tall. He had flowing white hair, he was as skinny as a rail, and he was musically inclined. How'd I do? (laughs) Robbed. He could sell anything. He told the best stories. He loved fishing and hunting, and he had nine kids, and I think at the time something like 18 grandkids, and I was his favorite. (laughs) No, really, I was his favorite. My cousin said that he told them that, but he was just telling that to make them feel better. I was his favorite. You can ask my Aunt Bobby. She's online with us right now. Just go online. She'll verify it. Anyway, he died. And I I have memories of that experience. I remember being in the house at some point when he was dying. He he died at home in his own bed. And... uh, I remember, you know, the, the, the chaos and shock around my family and the tears. My mom cried a lot and somehow put us kids together for some kind of a funeral that we went to. I remember there was a casket and I remember there were flowers and some of the, they had a service and a preacher and some, I suppose, some music and I don't remember any of that. You know what I remember the most? I remember the grave. I remember the hole. And I remember that when he went there, it was real. And I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't prepared for that. Who is? I mean, in Jerusalem at the time of the crucifixion, the Jews were in the midst of a festival. And, and they called it preparation day when they prepared for what was coming. And it's kind of like the eve before, for instance, Thanksgiving, 
where you might spend, you know, if you host a Thanksgiving celebration, that doesn't start five hours before. That, that might be a week before, you know. You're getting everything ready because you've got people coming. You've got to have all the things prepared for that feast to, to come off. So, so that's what they were doing, preparation day. And uh, so since the Jewish Sabbath began on sundown Friday, it was now late in the afternoon, probably 4 o'clock, so that means they needed to get Jesus' body off the cross before sundown. Because if they didn't, they couldn't deal with it because they couldn't touch a dead body in their law. Okay? And so it points out a need, this whole thing about Jesus being buried. To be raised from the dead, it takes some courage to bury the dead. Let me explain that. Brendan Lang gave a great description, I thought, last week of the upside-down king and his kingdom. And he explained how laughable it would have been in the first century for anyone to consider a king who was crucified. Like, just forget it. It just wasn't going to happen. The crucifixion was reserved for the most despised and lowest form of human being you can imagine. The scum of the earth, they would have thought. The process of crucifixion was designed to inflict maximum shame and maximum pain. They wanted to do as much of that as possible to that person. So the families would be shamed by it. And certainly the the victim would be. That is why the disciples could not accept the fact that Jesus was crucified. That is why everyone ran for the hills when it happened, because they didn't want to see that happen to themselves. And that is why everyone who saw it happen, including those who watched him die, cursed him and spit on him. Maximum shame. And the Romans used crucifixion to make a point. Don't mess with us. Don't mess with Rome. And the shame didn't end when they died. Oh, no. The, the, the Romans would normally not allow a crucified person to be buried in the ground because that required dignity. They wanted to leave that body on the cross as long as possible so that when people walked by and as that body decomposed and the horror of that, they would see it and they'd smell it and they'd say, mm, I'm not messing with Rome. No, sir. It was horrible. Jewish law, though, would not allow for a body to remain on a cross, and they believed that even the the most despicable of people deserve burial. And so it would normally be the family members who would go to the magistrate, in this case it was Pilate, and ask for permission to take the body. But they were hiding the family was hiding. The, their, the friends were hiding, or at least they were far, a long way off just watching from afar. And so a man steps in, and his name is Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea. He's a Jewish leader. He's part of the Jewish Sanhedrin. He's part of the hierarchy of the Jewish country. And he courageously stepped before Pilate, associating himself with Jesus And he asked for permission to take the body and bury it. Now again, the strategy the Romans had for crucifixion was to create 
the, the despicable nature of the cross for the image of that for people when the person died, but also to keep that body there to remind them for days and days. And so they were not presupposed to, to go ahead and let that body go. But Joseph stepped up in courage, and Pilate did it. He released the corpse. I think, first of all, Pilate was feeling some guilt because he knew Jesus was innocent. But he went along with the Jewish leaders anyway to have him crucified. And if you remember, we talked about this, his wife was also having some dreams about it. And he, you know, when your wife says things like, hey, leave that man alone, you better listen at least a little bit. He didn't listen enough. But Pilate, just like you and me, he made decisions, free will decisions to put Jesus on that cross. What Joseph did took immense courage. It took, it took a lot of courage to step up to Pilate and say, I care about this person. I'm asking you to let me have his body. Now, there's all kinds of symbolism that is implied in this. And I think it's important for us to grasp the ramifications of this for ourselves. I think most of us, if not all of us here, understand the cross and what it represents. I think most of us, if not all of us, understand the Christian teaching on resurrection and what that represents. I'm not so certain we understand the importance of his burial, Jesus' burial. The burial of Jesus is one of the great indicators of what Jesus did for you and me when he buried us and raised us. And so what we're praying about next week is that many of you will come and say, Lord, raise me. Raise me to new life. But what I've been praying about all week this week was that you would hear this message and be in this service and start preparing for burial. Let's talk about that for a minute. Things will die and need to be buried forever. Things will die and need to be buried. After Jesus' body was taken off the cross by Joseph, probably members of his household, they would have washed him, quickly prepared him for the tomb because they had to have that all completed by sundown, if you remember. Their law forbid them from touching dead bodies before sundown, from having anything to do with the work required to put him in a tomb. So they wrapped him up, they did, they did some washing, they wrapped him up, they hastily placed him in the tomb, and then they rolled a stone across the, across the grave. And, and, and understand that it probably was a grooved out place where this round stone would have been rolled into it. That means it would have been easy to roll it in, incredibly difficult to be rolled away, and impossible to roll away from the inside, impossible. There's a picture there. I hope that you'll get this. There's a picture that, that God wants to make it impossible for anything in your past that gets buried with Jesus to be brought back out. Maybe you've heard the phrase, nothing changes if nothing changes. Well, if you want to move beyond the dying, decaying existence of your life with, apart from God, something's going to have to change. When Jesus willingly submitted to God's will and he gave up his life for us, he did that to change the reality for every one of us. And he wants us to leave some things behind. 
Because we need to relinquish control just like he relinquished control when he gave himself up to do the will of God. But that will be required from you as well. If you really want to bury the past and everything it represents, the things that will keep you away from God, the things that will put you in hell, to be, to be frank, and keep you out of eternal life, these are the things that we need to understand because there's a Friday. There's a Friday. Let's look at that word Friday and think about the acrostic, the letters Friday. What do they represent? The F can represent fear. What is it you're afraid of? Where is your anxiety? What is it that's pushing you to the limits? What is it that's out of your control? What is it that's looming that gives you the chills when you think about it? And some of you, you know right immediately when I said the word fear, you knew, you knew what that meant. I got to ask you, do you ultimately fear your death and judgment apart from the power of God? Do you fear that? You know, in 1 John chapter 4, it shows us we don't have to. Here's how it states it. This is Jesus' close disciple who wrote this. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Would you like to have confidence on that day? In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. You don't have to face punishment from God. There's no reason for it. Because the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. When Jesus was buried, he buried your fear with him. He buried it so that you don't have to bear it. Now, the R can stand for regret. Because when we live in unresolved guilt, unresolved fear, the emotional ramification is regret. Regret is living in the past because we won't allow it to stay in a tomb. And, and, and I like how 2 Corinthians, how Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7 to describe this. He says, I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Repentance is not a negative thing. Like, you know, I think we, we associate the word repentance with, you know, with hard-handed preachers who want to drive it into us. Look, that's not what repentance represents at all. Repentance just means, look, I am going to stop living my life my way and I'm going to go his way. I'm going to stop trusting in myself. I'm going to stop living in my past. And I'm going to start living for the future that God has for me. That's repentance. Repentance is a positive thing meant to change our lives. It takes courage to address your sin. And it takes courage to address what the I stands for in Friday. And that is idols. An idol is anything that you trust too much. Anything that you're relying on too much. Too much being, meaning more than you rely on God himself for your hope and your healing and your future and, and your happiness. 
as 2 Corinthians chapter 6.15 puts it, what harmony is there between Christ and Belal? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Belal means worthless. And ultimately, an idol is anything I rely on other than God, and that's worthless ultimately to me. It's not going to save me. It might make me forget things. It might make me happy in the moment, but it will not save my soul. Reading in 2 Corinthians, going further, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I, and, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is a reminder that we don't live for stuff. We live for the one who created us. And Jesus made that clear to us. The D in Friday stands for death's grip. As 1 Corinthians 15.25 reminds us, he, being Jesus, must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. See, I think in our lives, we think we have all these enemies and we live like we do. And sometimes our enemies are real, like people and, you know, concepts and, you know, bigger things like governments and countries and, you know, cultures and whatever. But the one that's going to get you is death. It really is. And, and being, uh, in, in being wrapped up in death means that you can't live in life. Death is our greatest enemy, and he conquered death on the cross. You don't have to fear your death. Believe me, as a preacher, that makes me feel incredibly satisfied because here's why. Virtually every week I'm walking with someone through some kind of process of death. And I can't tell you how happy it makes me to be able to say this. You don't need to fear that because he has conquered that for you. The A in, in Friday could stand for anger. I threw anger in there because it's, I think, the great disqualifier of grace. Everything Jesus did to save us has to do with making us a new person. And if I live in unforgiveness, if I live in hostility against a person or persons, if I am angry, angry at God, angry at myself, angry at you, I am certainly not living in the grace that God's designed me for. Ephesians chapter 4 puts it this way, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and every other form of malice. And then it says, be this, be, be kind, be compassionate, forgive others because he's forgiven you. Is there anyone you need to forgive? Is there anyone you're holding a grudge against? Is there anyone that you won't let off the hook? Because guess what? That means you're on the hook too. When he died on that cross and was buried in that tomb, he wanted to bury that. Let him do it. And the why could stand for yesterday's sin. Because there's no reason to drag that around. Because you can be free from that. It takes some honesty. It takes the willingness to address it. It takes the willingness to bring it to God, to cleanse it. 
yesterday's sin, to wash it off, to wash it away. That's what baptism represents. Jesus took your sin to the cross. Joseph washed humanity's injuries and spit and vile filth from the body of the Jesus who loved you, and he cleansed it, symbolically showing you what God wants to do for you when he buries you. 1 John chapter 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. His word's not in us. Let me ask you this question. What will it take for you to leave the dead things in the tomb? What will it take? If I were to ask you, when was the turning point from Jesus' humiliation to exaltation? The easy answer would be his resurrection, wouldn't it? But I'm here to tell you, it began before that. It began when he was buried. That was the transition of exaltation. When Jesus was buried, it fulfilled the ancient prophecies of the Old Testament. Here's one of them, Isaiah 53, 8. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and the rich with his death. The critical term there is assigned a grave with the rich, meaning there was a transition from, from, from punishment and from despair to vindication. And that began when Pilate turned his body over to Joseph. It signaled the transfer from shame to dignity. It, it, it showed the abuse that was happening was ended and now loving care had begun. And it went from horror to hope. And that began on Friday when he was buried in a tomb. When do you begin to regain hope and dignity and vindication? Your resurrection day will be your baptism. That's resurrection day. But your dignity begins to be restored when you let the dead things go into the tomb. And I'm praying this week that many of you will be preparing for that. That, that this week will be your Friday. And it will be your Saturday. It will be when you take your fear and your regret and, and the fear of death and, and the anger that you've been living in and building up and, and, and it's been wrecking your life and wrecking the life of others probably too. The bitterness. Friday's yesterday full of sin. I am praying you, this week you will deal with that with God. And, and quite frankly, it takes something very difficult. It means you got to deal with the corpse. <laughs> it means you got to deal with it. But I'm telling you, through confession and repentance, God becomes your Joseph of Arimathea. He will prepare you. And if you will confess your sin, he faithfully will forgive you. And because Jesus took your sin upon himself, and he will forgive you and cleanse you if you'll work with him on that process. And your baptism next week will be the washing that will raise you into new life. There's a song that we're going to sing after we commune together. And it's, it's one that's been around for some time. It's, it's entitled, Were You There?
And um, I want to tell you this just in advance, because I know there's children in the room. There's going to be some, some graphic imagery that we show in, 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 in conjunction with a, a video that's coming up too. So I want you to be aware of that. You know? So you know, we, we talk a lot here about making sure your children are, are prepared for what happens here, because this is the big people room here. And if you're, if you're concerned about that, that some of the things that might show up, we're going to use some imaging from The Passion of the Christ, that movie. So if you're concerned about that, I, would, I want to give you fair warning so you can help your children maybe by taking them out of the room. But anyway, this song, Were You There? It's got, you know, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they buried him in the tomb? Were you there? And I'm here to tell you, you were. You were there because he was there for you. You were there. And that was Friday. But Sunday's coming. Lord, as we commune today, we're just remembering great price was paid. Incalculable price. You were there so we wouldn't have to be. What you did there was for us so we wouldn't have to do it for ourselves. And Lord, it's, it's pretty simple. You're willing to wash us, cleanse us, and raise us. Now, who could argue with that? Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.